Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Each week you'll hear from us two episodes, the talk and the chat. First up is the talk, and that's the audio version of this week's sermon as preached at Queen's Park Baptist. So this is your opportunity to listen to it again or to listen to it for the first time. And later on in the week, you'll be able to tune in again and download the chat where we gather around and discuss in a bit more detail some of the issues and themes raised in this week's talk. Thanks for tuning in to the talk. We hope you enjoy it. And we look forward to you tuning in again later in the week. Enjoy. We're in our series, uh, further in and, and further up this morning, looking at Old Testament characters. And this morning, we're looking at someone who interacts with King David, a man called Mephibosheth. Have you heard of him? Good. You need to practice his name. We're going to say it a lot this morning, Mephibosheth. And we're looking at the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So if you'd like to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9 in your Bibles, that would be good. We're talking this morning about the kindness of the king. We're going to look at grace in action this morning. Before we read the story, let me just set some background to who Mephibosheth is. Earlier in the book of Samuel, we read about him. And he is the son of Jonathan, the grandson of King Saul. So he's brought up in the royal palace. So he has uh, the best uh, of education, the best of clothes, the best of food, the best of everything. He is the grandson of King Saul. But King Saul and Jonathan and his men are out at battle and they get defeated. And King Saul and Jonathan die in battle. You can read about that in Samuel. And panic sweeps the palace. And people start to flee. And Mephibosheth at this point is only five years old. And his nursemaid picks him up. But as they flee from the palace, she drops him. And we don't know what happens, but uh, he breaks his leg or he breaks his ankles. We don't know. But he becomes lame as a result. That's the story earlier on in Samuel. And in the story this morning, we're going to read, and this is Mephibosheth now, possibly 20 years later. Still lame, of course, but now with a son of his own. So let's read the uh, passage. It's on the screen here. There we are. Now David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there, no one still, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Zeba, Saul's steward, and said to him, 
I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your, ma your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my, my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Let's pray. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you for this word, this, uh, this passage from Scripture. And we pray for your spirit to come and just open our hearts, Lord, to receive from you this morning. Lord, a word of encouragement or a word of challenge. Lord, we want to be different when we leave this place because we have met with you. So come, speak into our hearts through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to look at this story this morning. I'm not used to holding a handheld mic. We'll see how we get on. The story starts with David asking a question. There he is sitting on his throne in the palace, and he's wondering, I think, looking back over his life, and he says, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, we, we just need to understand that this is not David just being kind. And the message of this passage is not that all we need to do is be nicer with one another. You know, a Christian is not someone who is like everybody else, but just a bit nicer. I know some people think that. There are Scottish words I'm beginning to love, but there are English words I definitely don't like, and one of those is nicer. It's such an anemic word, isn't it? Who wants to be nice? Well, actually, we do need to be nice. We, we are called to be nice people. But being a Christian is not someone who is just like everybody else, just a bit nicer. This is not about being kind to one another. The word used here for kindness is actually the, the Hebrew word, which you've probably come across before. Chesed. Have you heard of that before? It means God's covenant love and faithfulness, God's unbreakable love and loyalty to us. It's the word that's used throughout the Old Testament to define the character of God. In fact, David in verse 3 says to him, is there anyone still left from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now, as the story unfolds before us, we have a beautiful picture of God's extraordinary kindness to you and me, the kindness of the king. So we're going to look at a couple of aspects of that, and I want you to just think a little bit about Mephibosheth this morning. He does two things this morning. In fact, he does the same thing twice in the passage this morning. In verse 6, he bowed down to David to pay him honor. And in verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down. He bowed down. Mephibosheth was part of Saul's family. And his family and David's family had been at war. So he was an exile, if you like, living out in this place called Lodabar, which literally means a place of no pasture, a barren place. He's had to flee from David, and he's now in this place 
in exile and alone. And a knock comes at the door. The king wants you. I'm not going to come. You don't get any choice. When the king calls, you have to go. And he goes. And you can imagine this journey from Lodabar to Jerusalem where he's wondering what's going to happen to him. At best, he's probably expecting imprisonment. At worst, death. So he gets to the king's palace and he bows down before David. And in a scene that mirrors God's kindness to us, instead of punishment or judgment, Mephibosheth receives mercy. Don't be afraid, says David. Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Don't be afraid. It's just lovely words, aren't they? Don't be afraid. Remember when the angel comes to Mary? What does he say to her? Don't be afraid. We may not always recognize angels when they come to us, but often they come with the words, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, says David. You're not going to die. You're going to live. It's okay. I'm going to show you mercy, not judgment. I'm going to do that because of the covenants I've made with Jonathan. You can read about that covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 20. The commitment that Jonathan and David make to each other to honor each other's families, to care for each other's families. A covenant doesn't say, you keep your end of the agreement and I'll keep mine. That's a contract, isn't it? You, you, you fix the car and I'll pay you. That's, that's a contract. This is a covenant commitment here. A covenant is something much deeper and richer. I was thinking of a good illustration of a covenant, and actually you'd have got it here on Thursday if you were here on Thursday when we saw Sam and Emily get married. That was a covenant commitment they made to each other for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Sam didn't say to Emily, well, Emily, as long as you cook the tea, I'll take out the bins. I mean, they might have had that conversation, I don't know. I don't think they did. But that, that would be a contract, wouldn't it? But this is about a covenant commitment, something deeper and richer. It says that I will honor this commitment even if it's just down to me. I will honor this commitment even if it's just down to me. In Jonathan, Mephibosheth finds mercy. The kindness of God begins with the mercy of God. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. Paul paints a lovely picture of mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Just think about that. God is rich in mercy, loved us so much that even when we were dead in our sins, he gave us life because of Christ. Did you know that God is committed to you? God is committed to us, come what may. His love can't be removed or reduced by what we say or what we do. He's relentless in his covenant commitment to us. Whether we believe in him, Trust in him or not. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? I think that might raise a hallelujah. 
I had these words here already before we sang this morning. I didn't know what songs were on, but these words are so true. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. The mercy of God pursues us. And David, in honoring the covenant of Jonathan, offers mercy to Mephibosheth. Well, job done. Job done. David could have said, job done. Mephibosheth, you're not going to die, so off you go back to Lodibar and uh, continue life as it used to be. But David, the commitment that he's made to Jonathan, takes him one stage further. And I love this. I love this. Not only does he offer him mercy, he offers him grace. Grace speaks of restoration. Look at verse 7. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. I, I just love that. You, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. Well, his grandfather was king, so I guess they were pretty extensive lands, weren't they? He gave them all back to Mephibosheth. He offers him grace. Not only that, I'm going to give you Zeba and his sons and his servants, and they're going to work the land for you because you, you're lame. I'm going to bless you abundantly. So not only does he receive mercy, he receives grace. Not only do we receive mercy, because of Jesus we receive grace as well. I know sometimes we use the word mercy and grace interchangeably, don't we? We, we sometimes think there's not much difference between the two. I want to suggest that there is a difference, and the difference is this. I think mercy is this. Not getting something bad that we deserve. So you may have, uh, you may have um, not done your homework, perhaps when you were younger, and you got punished for that. And if you got let off, that was mercy, wasn't it? Grace, I think, is this getting something good that we don't deserve. Are you with me? Does that make a difference? So hence, hence the sweets this morning. See, I didn't think you deserve the sweets this morning. But I wanted to extend grace to you this morning. And by the way, if you didn't get a sweet because they'd all gone, that's not a measure of God's grace. God's grace never runs out. Okay. Grace, getting something good that we don't deserve. Isn't that just a wonderful picture? Of what God does for us. See, what Mephibosheth expected, he didn't receive. What Mephibosheth received, he didn't expect. It's a lovely picture of what God does for us. Again, Paul from Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You know that verse well, don't you? Sometimes we need to just let it soak into us. It's, it's nothing we do or say. It's nothing that Mephibosheth said or did. He just had to accept what was an offer from David and receive the grace of David offered him. Hmm. Well, if you want to know what Christianity is, in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. But grace does something more. You see, there's a, a cherry on the cake in this ring. I don't know, I like cherries on cakes. Do you like cherries on cakes? Yeah, if you come to our house, you'll get a cherry on a cake. There's a cherry on the cake in this reading this morning because not only does he say to, to Mephibosheth, well, don't worry, you're not going to die, don't be afraid. Not only am I going to give you the lands back that once belonged to your grandfather with people to help you, but 
You can always eat at my table. You can always eat at my table. In fact, this is such a, I mean, this is the theme that runs through the passage. Four times, four times the, the, the writer records this. You will always eat at my table. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. You know, there's something here about eating at people's tables. There's something about tables being places where we share deep things together. There are places where families gather, and when we gather around someone else's table, it's like being invited into their family, being part of the family. We have times of fun and sharing and, and deep conversations, times of intimacy. Jesus did a lot of eating at people's tables, didn't he? Did you know that the, the, the picture of the kingdom of heaven in all its fullness is out of a glorious banquet? I want to encourage you, if you have not had someone around for a meal lately, to invite them. I, I, don't start with me. <laughs> but invite someone. Perhaps someone you don't know very well. Invite them and share around the table and have fun and, and share deep things. It's a place of real intimacy. So David inviting Mephibosheth is, is, is a place of, of coming in to a special and intimate place. Mephibosheth, you will sit at the table of the king. Do you want to sit at the table of the king of kings? He brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. And what I love about this passage is he, 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 David uh, Mephibosheth doesn't come as a, a, as a visitor or as a guest. He says, come and sit at my table like one of the king's sons or, or daughters, we might add. Come and sit at the table like one of the family. Be one of us. Come back into relationship with me, Mephibosheth, and be like one of my sons and daughters. Yeah, my favorite Bible verse is 1 John 3, verse 1. 1 John 3, verse 1, and it says this. What love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. What love the Father has lavished. I love that word lavished. Think of inviting someone or going to someone's house for a meal. Think of a lavish meal. Not just bread and soup, although bread and soup is fine, but a lavish meal. It gives me the picture of, of God. I, I knew someone once who, who was struggling with the love of God, and they had this picture of God with his hand closed, and, and they had to kind of prise it open to get whatever were that meager part of God's love that was inside it. And God says, no, no, what love the Father has lavished on us, but we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That's the good news, that we're invited to sit at the king of kings' table as a son and a daughter. If that thought doesn't overwhelm you, maybe you need to think a bit harder. Isn't it amazing? The king of kings invites me to be a son and daughter and to sit at his table. There's also a whole another lesson in there about other people sitting at his table as well and us needing to get on with one another as well. But we're invited to the table of the king. The problem is, the problem is that some of us don't think we're worthy enough to sit at the table of the king. 
When David asks Ziba if there's anyone left from the house of Saul, Ziba says this, there is still a son of Jonathan, he is lame in both feet. Well, there is someone, David, I'm not going to mention his name, David, because you don't really want to know him, and anyway, he's lame, and he's not the sort of person, David, you really want around your table, you want, you want the rich, you want those who've got it all together, you want those who are famous, you want those who are wealthy, you want the nice people, the good people around your table, you don't want someone like Mephibosheth around your table. David says, bring him, go get him. I'm going to invite him to my table. You see, we, we, we share something with, Mephib- with Mephibosheth, I think. There's something about his name. In Hebrew, his name means either the one who causes shame or shameful one. I think sometimes we think we're not worthy to sit at the table of the king. I can imagine that Mephibosheth has led or lived a life of shame. Once a king's grandson, no longer a royal, once living in a palace, now in isolation, dependent on someone else, once surrounded by the finest clothes, riches, and family, now in poverty and alone, once fully able and now lame, having to be helped out wherever he goes. I imagine Mephibosheth carried his shame around him like a ball and chain around his ankle. And David invites him to his table. Isn't that wonderful? David invites him to his table. And and I think as he takes his place at the king's table, I think Mephibosheth has taken off his garment of shame and replaced it with a garment of honor. Think about shame for a moment. Someone says shame is the swampland of the soul. Why would you want to go there? Many of us will have experienced shame in our lives, maybe experiencing shame now. And we tend to keep those places hidden, don't we? Out of reach of others, out of the, the prying gaze of anyone else. We, we, we project a picture of ourselves because deep inside there's something that we're not, we don't want anybody else to see. Shame says, I don't match up. I'm not good enough. Renee Brown in a book, Daring Greatly, defined shame like this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. The intensely painful feeling and experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And in the story this morning, David, King David turns that upside down, turns it on his head, doesn't he? He says to Mephibosheth, you might think you're flawed, you might think you're unworthy, but you can come. My love extends to you. My grace extends to you. You belong in the family. As Christians, we often talk about guilt, don't we? And that's right, it has a place. But I wonder if we do that at the expense of something that we call shame. You see, guilt says, I've done something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I failed my exam. Shame says, well, you're stupid. Shame says, I didn't get that job. Sorry, guilt says, you didn't get that job. Shame says, you're a failure. Guilt says, I stole that thing. Shame says, you're a bad person. In response 
to guilt, we say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. In response to shame, we say, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. Have any of you ever felt like that in your lives? Had those experiences, those feelings that you're not worthy? I can just share a personal story uh, with you here. Um, some of you will know that, um, that I am divorced. Actually, that's not true. I'm married. I am married. <laughs> I'm married to Sandra, but I have been divorced in the past a long time ago. But I was a Christian at the time, and Christians weren't supposed to get divorced. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. I felt deeply shameful about that. And not only that, but I was on a leadership team in church, and Christian leaders weren't supposed to be divorced, were they? And I looked at non-Christian friends who's had their marriages together and mine wasn't, and, and I felt deeply ashamed. I couldn't look people in the eye. People at church, I couldn't look them in the eye. They couldn't look me in the eye as well. I felt a deep sense of shame. But over time, through friends, through prayer, through counseling, And beginning to realize that God doesn't withdraw his love from us. And that's the message of the story. God doesn't take his love away from us. Those times of shame that we've experienced, whatever they may be, God hasn't withdrawn his love from us. His love is unconditional. It's unbreakable. It's unending. His love reaches out to us. And I, I discover that in a new way. And God began a process of restoration in my life that's possible that's possible for our shame to be dealt with the good news is that the gospel deals with shame the gospel deals with shame shame sucks out the joy of life and says I'm never enough shame leaves us in low bar. we never make it to Jerusalem and God says I love you God says, I love you with an unbreakable covenant faithfulness that can never be broken. No matter what you do, I will up, always uphold my end of the bargain, says God. Mephibosheth finds out that there's this thing called grace. We're not defined by our shame. We're not defined by our shame, but by what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God sees me through the lens of grace. I'm accepted, I'm unconditionally loved. And when we start to see life through the lens of grace, instead of the lens of shame, everything changes. Colors are brighter, the picture is clearer. We, we change the way we, we think about our worship, about what we do here on a Sunday morning, about my relationships, about my family, about my work, about my money, about my values about how I react when, when I'm criticized. As you two sang, grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Mephibosheth discovered grace, and that allowed him to make his way to the table of the king. We too can know grace this morning to make our way through shame to the table of the king. Of course, dealing with shame is easier said than done, isn't it? 
I'm sure there are those of you this morning in this room and you're struggling with shame. If we're honest, we're all struggling with shame. What's that in your life that's telling you you're not worthy, that you're not good enough? I want to suggest three things you can do. One, cling to the grace of God. Cling to that unbreakable, unending, unconditional love that God has for you. Secondly, name it. Name whatever it is that's causing you to feel this way. That's bringing that dead weight of shame on your shoulders. Name it. And thirdly, have those you can talk to. A parent, a pastor, maybe someone professionally, a friend. Allow God to begin a work of restoration in your heart. My prayer for you today is that you will experience God's grace anew and that you will begin to know freedom from shame. Imagine the dinner table at David's house years later. The dinner bell rings and David comes to the head of the table and takes his place as king. Solomon folds his books in his study and makes his way to the table. Absalom, proud and arrogant Absalom, comes in and sits at the table. Tamar, David's daughter, with her long, beautiful hair, comes and sits at the table. And there are David's mighty men, bronzed and gleaming in their armor. Then from down the hall, we hear a tap, 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 tap. And Mephibosheth makes his way to the table of the king. I reckon with a big grin on his face, don't you? And as he takes his seat at the table, the king's table, the tablecloth of grace covers his shame. Let's pray. Father, many of us this morning will be in a really good place, and we just thank you for that. But some of us will be struggling with things from the past, things that have been done to us, things that have been said to us, things we have done, things we've experienced. And Lord, we, we can't hold our heads up. We think we're unworthy. Thank you for the story this morning that shows us this picture of the gospel that your love reaches out to us that it's unbreakable. Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning. Fill us afresh with your love, with your mercy, with your grace. And do a work in us. Lord, even begin that work today by your Spirit that we might know life in all its fullness as we journey on with you. We commit ourselves to you and your work in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's Calling a City to Life talk. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again later in the week for the chat. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.